The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Amen. If you're able to join us this morning, will you stand with me one more time as we read our scripture starting in Hebrews chapter 2, and we'll be working our way down to verse 4 of chapter 2. Hebrews 2, 4, we are in the series Greater Than. We've seen Jesus is greater than, he's superior to all, he's greater than the angels the last couple weeks. This week, he's greater than falling away, greater than falling away. I'll be reading out of the Pew Bible translation, which is the ESV, uh, but follow along as you can. Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And this is what it says. It says, therefore, and we'll get to that, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message we heard was declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? For it was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While, verse 4, God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Let's say it again. This is God's Word, but this is a parenthesis right now. We're in a parenthesis in the book of Hebrews, and he's going to do this several times. But as he gets to the parentheses, he's reminding us of what we've talked about there, and he's applying it right away, and he's looking forward to what is to come. And it's all about Christ, but now he says, you notice that word we is there numerous times. Did you see that? We, 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 we. These are believers in Jesus Christ. So what we're going to talk about today, you may think, well, was he writing to people who were not saved? No, but he's writing to people who know the truth, but are starting to believe a little bit off about what the truth is so that they may fall back into the old ways that they had. You're not above it. I'm not above it. We're definitely not all above it. It takes intentionality, doesn't it, to stay the narrow path that is Christ. Let's bow our heads. We'll get into this this morning greater than falling away. It's good to see you today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the time we have. Thank you for the great salvation. Thank you for the escape that was given us, Lord, not just to be free from feeling bad in this world, but, Father, free from the sin and the judgment that we deserve. Lord, we love you so much. Give us wisdom now, we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. You be seated, guys. Well, this isn't on the slide itself, but I want to tell you there's a great uh, uh, preacher by the name of uh, William R. Newell, William R. Newell. And in 1947, he said this. I Actually, we might even have a picture of him, Amy, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it, it's up there, or maybe I don't, I don't remember exactly. But he said these seven things in 1947. He said that those who claimed to know Jesus were drifting away. And in his time, he said these were the seven factors he noticed that were happening around him as to why. He said, people back in those days, post-World War II, were not as serious about understanding God's Word as they were previously. That was number one. Number two, he said, they were completely absorbed with selfish earthly interest and not heavenly things. Number three, they seemed to have a deadness in their heart about Jesus Christ and His sacrifice. Number four, he said, that kept people away from God. He said, there was a preoccupation with things of this world rather than telling people about Jesus. 
Number five, he said they lost seeing God in everyday life. Number six, he said in 1947, there was a judgment, uh, a dismissal about the judgment of God, that, 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 that there wasn't going to be any judgment, so I don't have to worry about anything, basically, in simple language. And finally, Mr. Newell said, he said there were lifestyles of Christian people that mimic the world more than mimic their Savior, Jesus Christ. I shouldn't have told you the year, shouldn't I? Because that sounds very much like it was today. In fact, maybe more so, and every generation says that. But as we come to this text today in Hebrews, I want to remind you that this passage is a warning passage. It's a passage that is, is the shortest of the warning passages. In fact, in chapter 3, chapter 5, chapter 10, and chapter 12, we're going to hit more warning passages. But as he goes through these warning passages, this is perhaps the most serious of the warning passages to come. Because before he talks more about Jesus, he wants to remind us that we don't get off track about viewing Jesus as he should not be viewed. In fact, these passages are starting now to use that word we just said, we and you, corporate language. Or as uh, when Brother Craig was here in the southern drawl, the y'all of Scripture, it's everybody. Or if you're from southern Missouri, the you-ins of Scripture. Everyone is included in this passage, right? And the threat is very real and still is backsliding, walking away from your faith, getting off track of your faith is very much in view here. That's why Proverbs 4.27 says, don't swerve to the right or to the left, but turn your foot away from evil. You know, it is like that boat where when you have a boat in front of you and you don't tie it to the dock, or even if you're anchored there, the waves and the tide can take you out to sea even before you realize you're heading out to sea. Or it is as some explorers have found when they were exploring the, the Arctic, when they got on the isles of, of the uh, North Atlantic up into the North Pole that their compasses would read south, but they were really traveling north. They could feel that. They were walking on ice that was literally floating out the sea, and they had no idea that was even happening. And Christian, in these days, where we are overwhelmed by the news, overwhelmed by life, and consider all the things that we have going on, if we are not actively fighting, we are actively drifting. And if we are not actively fighting, we are actively walking in the very ways that Hebrews says not to walk. So this morning... Are you growing in your knowledge of Christ, or are you, are we unmoved in our apathy? Are we increasingly governed by what God says in His Word, or are we governed more by the, the pundits and the politicalness or whatever else is out there? Do we hear the Master's voice? Do we follow Him? Or are we deaf and blind and rogues who choose our own way? That is the big idea today, and Amy, and you can skip down to that if you will, is the big idea today is that the greatest danger in life is drifting. Each day we live in a river of worldliness. We can't escape it. Either we swim towards Christ or we drift towards the falls. And that is the truth of life. Now, I'm speaking especially if you're in person here. I know you're all's faith. You all are the, you all are what we used to call the Sunday evening crowd. You're here. And I know the strong faith that's in this room. But if the writer of Hebrews did not hold back pen and paper to warn the very people who were of the apostles' day, we too should not think we are above this or that we cannot have this happen in our own lives. I mean, look, it's not that we reject the Bible when we're drifting away spiritually. It's just that we actively don't seek God in His Word. We don't actively seek to know Him. And you'll never drift into spiritual maturity. You have to make an intentionality of it. I mean, it takes a daily focused effort. So three things I want you to see this morning. Three things that you must take note of. Three truths that we must pay attention to, to what God has said. And I pray this is encouraging to you. I pray if you are on the path with Christ, that this, this reminds you about where you are. 
But if you're among us and you don't know Christ, I pray it points you to Christ this morning. And the first one is this, is that the three truths start with the superiority of Christ, the superiority of Christ. I want to remind you that last chapter, you look at verse 1. If you have your Bible still, he says, therefore. Therefore what? This book jumped straight into the fact that Jesus is superior than everything, everyone, and every situation. It talks about the fact that Jesus is always the one who's in charge. And aren't you grateful for that? I would be very, it would be a wrong thing for him to come up and say that, 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 that Caesar's in charge or the president's in charge. Long ago, it says in verse 1 of chapter 1, in many times, in many ways, God spoke to us by the fathers. But now in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Whoever this writer of Hebrews is, he wants you to know your life, your marriage, your children, your church should be about Jesus Christ. That's it. That's really what it's all about. So why do we mess it up so easily? Why do we so easily get off the track? I mean, anything and anyone else that comes up short. But the message of Hebrews is that, is that you must give your life to Christ in every facet of your life. Those things that no one else sees, those things people do see, but that's where he starts. If you want to not drift away, you need to remember all that Jesus is. That's why that word therefore is. How many of y'all have the word therefore in the first verse, just out of curiosity? Most of y'all. Some of you may have for or, or, or because of these things, but really the best word there is therefore. And good Bible study, you always ask, don't you, what the word therefore is therefore. So that's what he says. He tells you it's because Christ is supreme. And, and that's what it is. It demands everything of our lives. Either he is who he says he is or he isn't. And remember, he's writing to believers who were in a spot where they wanted to go back to their old ways. They're like the Israelites who got out in the desert and said, man, at least in Egypt, we were slaves, but we had food to eat, Moses. We had water to drink, Moses. Man, it was a terrible life, but at least, our, at least we had our, our, our three meals and a cot or kind of thing going on, like they say on the, on the streets. But that's not what he says. He says, don't go back to Egypt. Don't go back to the ways of the world. Focus on Christ, therefore Christ. And he says that phrase there in verse 1 of chapter 2, that you must pay much closer attention. Kids, this is every parent is what we tell every kid, right? Pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. If you're a Charles Stanley fan, he says it all the time. If you've listened to him before, listen, listen, listen. He says that. But this is what he says, pay more attention. And you think, how can we pay more attention? We just talked about Christ. How can we get away from this so easily? But even after talking about the glories of Christ, he's always reminding them, don't let that go to your head. Don't let it just roll off your back. Oh, I've heard that before. Oh, that's not a big deal for me. Or I got my Jesus flu shot, got my Jesus COVID shot. I'm good for a while. I, I've been to church this last Sunday, Jesus. I'm okay. I don't need you for the rest of the week. Guys, to tie your shoe, you need the power of God on your life, don't you? It is that strict. He says, pay attention. I mean, when you hear this, you're either for it or against it. The verb here means literally to turn your mind and give careful attention to what has been taught. What has been taught? It's been taught about Jesus. It's, that's what he's saying. Pay attention to these things. He doesn't say pay attention to the latest Southern Baptist political argument. He doesn't say pay attention to what that other church down the road is doing. He doesn't say pay attention to everything else going on. He says primarily, focally, focus on my son. Oh, if every pulpit, of every church, of every Christian life was that way. Guys, we have, do you realize that in America today, we are probably one of the most ungospelized countries in the world? Do you realize that countries like South Korea 
literally right now are sending missionaries to us because we do not know the gospel anymore. But we're America. This is God's country. This is where, the, this is where we send out missionaries all around the world. Well, there was a time, but it's not now. The gospel is as foreign to most people in America as it is in lands where people have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ because Christians are not focusing on. We're drifting away. And some believers were beginning to drift in their minds and their relationship. They'd forgotten how great God was. They wanted to go back to the things that were familiar. They wanted to go back to the Judaizing system. They wanted to go back to all the things that were there before. And if you're a Christian, you felt that struggle before too, haven't you? Man, it was a little bit easier when I didn't have to walk with Christ. It was a little bit easier when I could just go out and not feel so bad about the things I do or thinking the things I do or watching the things I watch. But believers, we must never drift away from our focus. We must keep it, and we must be ready for it. You know, we can be, there are many people who are like the many kings that Paul spoke to and John the Baptist spoke to that they love to hear the things they talked about. They love to hear John wax eloquently about how the world is terrible and all the things are coming due. And, but when John or Paul, especially Paul, looked at Agrippa and said, but Agrippa, you know this truth. Look at Acts 20. You know the truth, and Agrippa wouldn't believe it because he was fearful of the judgment to come. Christian, if you want to focus on the superiority of Christ, your life will change. Walk in on a Monday morning believing that Christ is the supreme king and you're on his mission, even if it's changing diapers or whatever you got in your life, or Brother Richard tooting the, the horns on the train down where you work or whatever you do. If you keep Christ as supreme in your mind and your life and your heart as you walk through each day, your perspective is going to change. And that's why, and Amy will put this up on the screen, we don't drift into holiness. We don't drift into holiness. In fact, verse 1 tells us very clearly what happens, lest we drift away. If we don't pay more closer attention to our faith, the natural thing is to drift away. You know, I know a, a, a college friend of mine, we don't keep up much anymore, that uh, he's a runner. He used to be one, actually one of the best in the small school, the NAIA divisions back in the day. He's a local guy. He used to be one of the fastest guys, and he would, he would beat the Kenyans and the Ethiopians and all the foreign guys who'd come over to get the scholarships, and that's fine for them. He was the guy that would just whip them. He was just a fast little guy from small-town Missouri. He ran for William Jewell years ago. And I saw a post he put out on Facebook, and, and he's not, he won't hear this but he po he, he's, he's gained weight, he's gotten away from it, and his son asked him, he said, Daddy, I want to run as fast as you, and he said, I shed tears over that, because everything I used to be, I've let go of for sake of life. He said, I, I, I'm just not the person I used to be. And friends, that's a secular example, how easily someone so disciplined, how easily someone so focused and intentional can drift away from the very things. Christian, you don't drift into holiness. You drift out of holiness so easily, don't you? Don't we as a church? I mean, when it, it, the, the warnings of Hebrews are you can drift away, you can fall away, you can be hardened, you can neglect. Drifting is the soft choice. It's the easy path. It's the small compromise. Drifting is not shocking. Drifting is not dramatic. It's comfortable. It's unnoticed. Uh, you never drift away anywhere worth going, though. And spiritually, it's the same way. Every Christian you talk to who's ever got unfocused about the things of Christ will never not regret focusing on Christ. Look, you'll never drift into spiritual maturity. But I want to ask you this morning, Christian, are you on autopilot? Are you in neutral right now with your faith? Have you forgotten how great and supreme Christ really is? And has that affected how you handle your faith? 
And church, I want to remind us here at Tower View, we stand on the shoulders of giants in our faith, don't we? We have people at our church who've been here for 60 plus years, who've been here since the start. We praise God for those charter members still alive. But I want to remind you that it just takes one generation of church to go that way. And I don't feel we're there. I don't think we're going there as a church. But I just say that as a warning for all of us. May we focus on Christ and Christ alone. And that's what it's about. That's number one. You got that? Let's go to number two. How do you not drift away? You need to remember not only the superiority of Christ, but secondly, the severity of judgment, the severity of judgment. Look back at verse two. He says, for, so based on all this, based on everything you've heard in chapter one, pay attention, don't drift. But because of this, verse two, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression of disobedience received a just retribution, how then shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And I'll stop it right there. How can we do this? Well, that word for is an explanation cause, and it's introducing that message, the message by the angels. You know, we talked about last week that, that you know, Pastor, how many angels can dance on the head of a pen? Pastor, do I have a guardian angel? Great questions. The Bible doesn't really clear it out for us. It's not worried about that. It's worried about Christ. And as he gets here, he says there is a message delivered by angels. What is he talking about? He's talking about probably referring to Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments and the Law of Moses. In fact, in Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7, in two verses of Acts chapter 7, he says that angels were there at the law, at the giving of the law, and the angels helped order the law. That's Acts 7, 38 and Acts 7, 53. We know in Deuteronomy 33, verse 2, that angels were involved in giving the law. Remember, they're the messengers of God. And we know in Galatians 3, 19, that the same is said. So what he's saying is this, is that based on focusing on Christ, based on not drifting away, everything you've heard up to this point is as good as gold. Everything you've heard up to this point that we've told you about Christ is true. You know, it is very popular today for many people who claim the name of Christ to start doubting their faith. And if you're here today and you're a Christian, I'm sure at some point you've looked yourself in the mirror, whether that's physically or you've reflected inside your soul internally to ask yourself the question, why do I really believe this stuff? I mean, come on. Walk with me for a minute. We believe in a guy who was dead and came back to life. If you went to any funeral home in Kansas City, if you went to White Chapel or Speaks Funeral Home down south or wherever you're at, and you go up to the funeral director and ask him and say, all right, funeral director, how many people have come in here in a casket, an open casket, have walked out of here alive? They're going to laugh you out of the building, aren't they? Because we know that that doesn't happen. But friends, we also know that God isn't normal. And I'm here to tell you, there are times where you can doubt your faith. There are times where you can question the very basics of what God has told you. But I want to remind you, Christian, that there are things in this world that God has done that he has done because they are supernatural. Did Jesus raise back from the dead? He is risen, church. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That is weird, but it's true. It's also weird that God came down to live among us and give his life for us, but it was true. It's also weird that we believe that God literally wrote, as it were, on a tablet of stone those angels gave uh, to Moses just as it was. But we believe that it's true. It's not a wise tale. It's not a fairy tale. It's not some made-up story. It is truth. And I want you to know that. 
This culture wants you to doubt the very truth that you have, but you need to be reminded that from the front to the back, God says it is true. And do you believe that? Because really it comes down to what you hold. Either it's true or it's not. And if it's not, let's go home. Let's get a pizza. Let's go down to, let's go down to Airhead early and just, just knock, you know, just go do whatever we want to do. But because this is true, your life has changed, hasn't it? Because this is true, and you notice that phrase there in verse 2, it proved to be reliable. You may see a, a name there. Your, your Bible may say in verse 2, if you look there, it may say in verse 2 that it proved to be unalterable. It may prove to be uh, something of that line. But I want you to know it is true. It is true that you're saved and going to heaven if you've repented in Jesus' name. It is true that there is a, there is a heaven that awaits you where there is no sin, there is no guilt, there is no doubt, racism, abortion, whatever sin you can throw at it, there's a place there because there's a Savior there who really came to die for you. That is true. But this law required perfection. And there's also another truth that he says that is also true. Not only did everything those angels said, everything that was told about from Jesus' birth to his death, that he's not here, he's risen. Mary, go tell the disciples. Everything that has been said, don't look around. You remember when Jesus in Acts 1 went back to heaven and, and the disciples like us were like, whoa, what just happened? Do you remember what the angel told them? Don't look around. The same Jesus who came and went back to heaven is the same Jesus who will be coming again. But there's also another truth I want you to see here. Did you notice this? He says in verse 2, every sin will receive a just penalty. Every sin will receive a just penalty. Everything that happens in this world is going to be accounted for by God. Either people will be covered for every sin by the blood of Christ, or they will have to give account for every sin in the judgment of Christ. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? Ah, we don't believe in that God anymore. I mean, come on, pastor, do you really believe that God's going to send people to hell? Do you really believe that God would, 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 would throw a rock through a window and smash everyone's life up like that? I mean, do you really believe in a God like that? Yeah, I do. And more so, the Bible does. Adam and Eve had to sin how many times before they were kicked out? One. Romans says the wages of sin. One sin is enough. James James tells us in James chapter 2, if you've missed the, if you've sinned in one point, you're, breaking of guilt, you're guilty of breaking the whole law. One thing, if every batter who got in a batter's box at, at Kauffman Stadium got one strike and they were out, they would be going up to every umpire in that game crying foul because this isn't fair. I got three strikes. God says you get one and you're out. There's a judgment coming. Hebrews 9.27 says a judgment is coming and afterwards we there's death coming, and afterwards we face death. But I want to remind you that in the Old Testament, when you violated a law, there was no grace. When kids were disobedient to their parents, the end result was death to the kids. When a man cheated on his wife, it was death to both. But friends, our God tells us there is a judgment coming. But if you're a Christian, you've been covered by grace. I mean, think about this. If you got pulled over on I-435 for doing 100 miles an hour by worlds of fun because you were so excited about something in your life, and the officer pulled you over and said, look, I'll offer you grace that you can walk out of here scot-free, or I can give you a ticket and send you to jail for going so fast in there. What do you think you're going to pick? You're going to pick the grace every time. 
But most people in this life live as if they are, they're running on grace all the time. They want to do everything they can because they, they, they think that God's not this God of judgment. Look at verse 3. Look down at verse 3 again. Therefore, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The assumption here is there is no escape. Well, when I die, when, when I die, I'm going to stand before God. And we're going to talk it out, and, and we're going to figure this out. And yeah, he'll forgive all the stuff I did as a kid. But when I was an adult and had kids and got married, you know, I figured it out life a little bit more. No, you won't. When you die, you stand before God. Revelation 20 reminds us, doesn't it, that all heaven and earth fled away at the presence of God. As everything else is running away, there are some people who are like, come on, bring, bring God, like, like they're Mike Tyson trying to fight Evander Holyfield or something like that and bite off his ear. That's not how this works. God tells us that there is day coming. If we neglect, salvation is a great salvation. Isaiah 118 tells us our sins are like scarlet. Our sins are like scarlet. The warning here is to neglect. It's, it's to not act upon. It's, it's to not believe. It's to give away everything that this world says. How shall we escape? We don't escape by baptism or membership. We don't escape by religion or sincerity. We don't escape by trying harder or, or whatever. We escape by faith in Christ alone. Amen? And that's what we know. That's why he points them back to Christ because there's coming a day. There is a great salvation. There's a, such a great salvation. Your friends need it. My friends need it. Our family needs it. Our area needs it here. That's why church, and I always want to say this, those of you who heard the announcement last week, our goal, we want to be here as long as we can be. This is our neighborhood God has put us in. We're not leaving. No matter if the building changes or things get renovated or whatever comes down the pike, we're here because this neighborhood, 15,000 people in this neighborhood, we try to knock on about every door every year, at least once a year, and I can tell you most of them, they don't know Christ. They need Jesus. But aren't you grateful there's still a way out? Aren't you grateful the clock hasn't hit midnight, so to speak? Aren't you grateful time hasn't expired? If you're here today and the sound of my voice online or off and you don't know Christ, the greatest thing you need to do is come to Christ. Amy will put this up, please, if you will. Life is short. Death is sure. Judgment is coming. Eternity is forever. God is reigning. Heaven is rejoicing. When one sinner comes to faith in Christ, what happens, guys? Big old party, bigger than anything Patrick Mahomes could ever create it down at Arrowhead. But hell is boiling. Jesus the Lord is Lord, and he alone saves. Look, if you're a Christian here today, just thinking about the judgment of God ought to shock your system a bit about what's really important in your life. And Christian, as, as, I'll leave this up for a minute for some of you writing that down. I want to remind you too, when you die, when you go before the Lord, you have been covered by the grace of Almighty God. There's not a second chance. You don't have to go through the gauntlet of, uh, of boot camp, as it were, for your faith. That has been settled. You are taken care of. The phrase we're going to get to later in the fall is the phrase we love around here, once for all. Not the musketeers. You know that old story. One for all. One, what was it? Well, all for one and one for all. That's not what we're talking about. It was one who gave his life for you. And when you stand before God on judgment day, there is a sense in which we, we should be fearful of that day, not to lose our salvation, but because we want to please our Lord, isn't it? He's not going to cast us out. He's not going to throw us out with the bathwater. 
but he's going to judge the things we did for him here on this earth. I long as you do, and our church longs as we all do, to hear those faithful words, well done, good and faithful servant. Come into the glory prepared for you. But if you're not a Christian here today, I want to remind you, there is a literal hell. If Josh and Julie Foote were here, they will tell you, as I often remind them, they visited about four years ago when we preached 13 reasons that hell is real or something like that, and they still became members, praise the Lord. Uh, that's always a, a talking point because we believe it. But we also believe there is a great God who loved us so much he gave himself for us. Amen. What an awesome God we serve. Last thing is this. Not only the superiority of Christ, the severity of judgment, but I want you to see how do you keep your faith focused? How do you not fall away? Remind yourself of the sureness of the gospel. Look at your Bible if you still have it. Last point. The sureness of the gospel. Verse 3. In verse 3. He says, what about this great salvation? It was declared at first by who? By the Lord. It was not the Southern Baptist Convention, the Pope, or, or whatever. It was the Lord. And it was attested to us by those who heard. Verse 4, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Look, here are three reasons for the sureness of the gospel. And Amy will put up the first little title there and the first point. He tells you, how can you be sure what you believe is true? How can you be sure what you believed isn't in vain? He tells you, the first is this, is that it was spoken by Christ himself. Did you notice that? Salvation was declared at first by the Lord. And folks, I want to remind you that we believe, don't we? that from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation 22, the gospel is there. It's not hiding behind every page, not like a secret decoder ring, you got to get out. But even when God said, it is good, that is speaking the gospel that was to come in his son some thousands of years later. Mark 1.14, preaching the gospel of God, Jesus said, saying, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Mark 2.10 he has authority on earth to forgive sins. Matthew 7, 13, Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. John 5, 24, Jesus said, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has passed from death to life. Aren't you grateful that salvation wasn't made in a back room by a few people trying to get people to be religious? It was fashioned by God before eternity passed. It was spoken by the Lord. Guys, if you're a Christian here today, you're a Christian because God spoke the word of salvation. That's why Jonah in Jonah 2.9, when he was in the belly of that fish, said that famous phrase, salvation is of the Lord. That's, I love that, don't you? I'm so grateful you don't have to come to me to confess anything of sin to go to the Lord. It was spoken by Christ himself. You can go to Christ himself, and Christ was given for you himself. Aren't you grateful for that? Everything was spoken by the Lord. How do you know the gospel's true? Well, God said it. What's that old phrase? God said it, and I believe it. And that settles it. Some of those old t-shirt hallmark phrases aren't always the best, but that one speaks pretty well here. It was spoken, the gospel was, by Christ himself. How can you be sure of your faith? Number one, he spoke it. Second layer, if that wasn't enough, is it was authenticated, and Amy will put this up, by the apostles was authenticated by the apostles. Look at the end of verse 4 here. He says, well, God also, uh, excuse me, it was attested, verse 3, to us by those who heard. Who's he talking about? Who's he talking about here? Specifically in the context of Christ, he's speaking about the apostles. Who are the apostles? Well, let's back this truck up a little bit. Are there apostles still here today? No. 
They're not apostles still here today. The requirements to be an apostle were, give or take, at least two criteria. One, you had to actually see the risen Jesus in your flesh during his time. And the second thing was, you had to be sent out by him. The last apostle died when John passed away sometime in the late first century. That's what we know. But yet there are people around, I'm pointing this way down the road, there, there are certain ministries just down the road that believe that apostles still exist and they can speak the very holy writ of God as if they were speaking the very words of God. And if you question them about that, back up because you're out of line, Christian. We don't believe that. Christian, we are very clear here that if anything I say or next week Brother Willie says or Pastor Nelson or anyone who preaches in the Volsa, Brother John back there, whoever, speaks the Word of God against what the Word of God says. You take the Word of God over that person, right? Every time. But it was attested to, it was validated. How do we know it was spoken by the apostles? Well, we know by, first off, by their lives. Everything about them changed. Everything. Their whole world changed. They went from, from burly fishermen to barely knowing what was going on to God to preaching to thousands within a couple days of seeing the risen Christ and the ascended Christ. What changed them? It was the resurrected Christ. Jesus literally changed their lives. How do we know you're a Christian? You know, what about those people out in the bush or in the jungles who've never heard five reasons why Jesus came back from the dead by Josh McDowell? Or 10 reasons that Jesus had to come back from the grave, and it's clickbait, so right? So number nine, I like the most. You know those titles sometimes you see on Facebook. How do they believe in the resurrected Christ? The same way you do, by faith. How do we know they truly come to faith the same way you and I do? Because their lives have changed. We believe everything the apostles wrote in this book is exactly what was said because that is the sureness of what was there. All right, you Baptists, you ready for the last section here? How do we know the gospel's true? It was testified by God himself. Some of y'all are ready for this. The sign, you ready? The signs and wonders, the miracles, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Pastor, are these still around today? Great question. Let's talk about what they were. It says God also bore witness. There was a time and a place where signs, that is the power of God behind the miracles, were pointing to God. There were wonders. There were amazing miracles done by the believers. There were, uh, there were miracles themselves that were done at the hands of healing by those people. And there were gifts which were temporary. Are these signs and wonders still around today as we knew them in the days of the apostles? I, I think not quite as much. Why? Because Ephesians 2 says we now have the foundation of the apostles. We now stand on them. We now have the word of God. It seems for a season God raised up certain miraculous miracles to build the church. And that's what we know. Is it possible that God could still work and do these miracles today in a way? Sure, God is God. I'm not going to close that door. But to use the theological word, most of us in this room are what we call cessationists. We believe that the Word of God is sufficient to cover everything we need. But for a time, there was a time where there were miracles being done every day. I mean, think about this for a second. If Benny Hinn was really a faith healer, why does he not walk into every single hospital, starting with the kids perhaps, and go in and touch them and heal them? And why is it always under his stage, under his banner, under his terms? Yet the apostles could walk up to anybody and say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And he walked. It's because God knew that people would abuse these things, and he knew that the word of God was sufficient. Does God still heal, guys? Amen, he does. 
Thank you for praying for the many, many sick. We shared this on Facebook and email in the closed groups, but you know this last seven days, we've had more people on our prayer health list than we've had probably in any period of any time of a week in the last seven or eight years. Crazy. But I want you to know that God used that stuff back in those days to shore up the gospel. Everything we have today points back to that. Close with this story. There's a great hymn, and here's a picture of this guy. He's old. He's dead. He's one of those old dead guys, Richard. You know that. Robert Robinson, during his early teen years, got mixed up with hoodlums and a life of deep sin. And he wrote a song that many of you know called, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. You know that song? Well, he professed to know Christ under the preaching of George Whitfield, one of the great evangelists, probably the greatest evangelist of America. And he was going there to, to, to scoff, he said, at the poor deluded people who believed everything Whitfield said. Well, God got a hold of him and he got saved. But in the next several years, he became known as the writer of Come Thou Found of Every Blessing. At the age of 23, he wrote that song. We sung it here recently, I think a couple weeks back. And at the time, he started, though, to drift away. He started to lose his focus on Jesus Christ. He quit the ministry. He began to travel. And during one of his young years, he found his way in a town where a young woman was. And she had no idea who Robert was, but she just started talking to him about God and all the things of God. And, and, and Robert, Robert was just kind of being weird about it. He was kind of just being squirrely, changing the conversation. You know how this goes, right? When you, people, you start talking to someone and you're really hitting home and they just kind of weasel their way out of it. And finally, she called his bluff and she said, I love this hymn. Have you ever read this hymn before? And guess what hymn it was? True story. Come thou fount of every blessing. She had no idea who he was. He had not revealed his identity. But he tried to avoid the question again. And finally, it convicted her so much, convicted him so much, that he repented. And the girl pointed out to the verse first, which says, streams of mercy are still flowing. And he, she said to him, brother, there's still time to come back. You've drifted away, but God is good. Guys, look. Perhaps you've been drifting in your spiritual life. Perhaps you'll admit your love for God and the Lord is not once what it was. Return to him. He's a God full of grace. Yeah, he's superior. Yeah, he's, 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 he's the sure God that's bringing severe judgment. But I want you to know he's also a God who loves you and will take you back. That's the God we serve. Don't make that the goal of your life. But if you've drifted away, there is still grace to come. All because of what Jesus did. Let's bow our heads today and we'll close out. Father, as we come to you this morning, we are reminded of the fact that we are a fickle people. Father, we often look at the book of Judges and Deuteronomy and think, how could they have, how could they have seen all that great stuff and yet done all the things they did to God in those times? Father, I thank you for the book of Hebrews. I thank you, Lord, that he's reminding us here subtly that even head knowledge about the great things of God is not enough to prevent us from the heart that can easily, so easily go astray. Father, I pray for our church this morning. I, I know we are not assembled in the way we're used to being assembled even in COVID days. I pray during these days of cold and, and snow, excuse me, of ice and, and of sickness and all the things going on, that you would warm our hearts even more with who you are and what you've done for us in Christ. Father, this is a topic that is not broached a lot because we don't like to talk about the negatives. We don't like to talk about the things that we've done to walk away or to drift away. But Father, your Bible's real and we want to be real too. 
Father, we confess as a church any way that we've done that. We confess as a, a people here, Lord, anything that we've said or done that has taken our focus off Christ. Father, we're not hermits. We don't live in a monastery where we read the Bible all day and pray. We, we, we have to do job and life and family and whatever is before us, health. Yet, Lord, in the midst of all that, may you be preeminent. May you be exalted. May you be lifted high. Lord, we love you so much. As we close out today, may you receive the glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Would you stand and sing with us, please?